everyone doing today? It's so great to be um, back with you guys. <clears throat> this year, ha or this semester has flown by, right? We're in parables, and it's already the last one, which is crazy that it's already the last one. It's been good. Yes, everyone's enjoyed it, mostly. Um, okay, so I have to tell you, I have been watching this new show on Netflix. If you don't know me, I'm really into survival shows. I like watching Alone, um, where they're like, you know, they have to outlast and by themselves. And I like watching rock climbing documentaries. I think it's because I'm an Enneagram 6, and I'm always assessing and evaluating risk. So I love watching these shows where people take really big risks, because I would never do that. But I also like watching these shows because somehow I think that if I watch these shows, I can learn the same skills. And so just by watching it, if I ever find myself in Patagonia, like stranded, I, I would know how to survive for 30 days off the land. And if, you know, need be, I could just free solo up the side of a mountain, <laughs> which is just kind of, you know, yeah, that's how things work, but not really. But anyway, so I started watching this show on Netflix called Outlast. Um, it has the makings of a really great survival show. There are 16 people who are dropped off in Alaska, and the, the goal is to survive or outlast the other people. And if you make it long enough, you will win a million dollars. So it's right, it's intriguing. Um, but the, the catch is that these players have to stay in teams. Right, and, and that should be a good thing, but because you know, we live in America, nobody wants a group project. Nobody wants to do that. We don't wanna be on teams. We wanna do it our own way. So um, we know that there's gonna be some drama. Just from the preview alone, it's clear that there's about to be some drama with these teams. And after about three great episodes, things begin to devolve into a little bit of chaos. One team decides that they've had enough surviving and they're ready to end the game. They are ready to um, call it quits and so they sabotage another team severely. I won't spoil it for you in case you wanna watch it, but they sabotage this team so severely that it puts them in danger and it, it, it um, creates some tension with the other teams and the other teams begin to question even the ethics of what's happening here. And the team who commits the sabotage defends themselves by saying the famous words of anyone who's competing for a million dollars. I gotta do this for my family. That's what they say, I gotta do it for my family. Because somehow we think if we say we gotta do it for our families, then it makes everything that we do okay, right? I gotta do it for my family. So it's okay that I sabotage this other team. I gotta do it for my family. They, they need the money. We need the money. If I don't do this thing, then they won't get what they need. We won't have a better life. We won't have safety. We won't have security. I got to do this. And I mean, to some degree, I get it, right? Like when there's an opportunity to go after something, to um, have a monetary prize that will change our lives, we all do it. I mean, even here, the other day we had a staff um, event and our goal was to pack some boxes with books. Easy task. But then our executive pastor turned it into a competition because he's like, well, if we can get this done faster, whoever wins will get a gift card. 
And I got to tell you, Amy and I did what was necessary to win. Amy and I and Colin, yeah, we did what was necessary to win that $10 gift card to Chick-fil-A. Right? Because we know, you don't have to have kids to know that a $10 gift card to Chick-fil-A gets you a free meal, or at least very close to a free meal. Money is a motivator, right? As our title of our Lesson 8 chapter tells us, money matters. Money in our culture today unlocks a world of possibilities, and more money means more possibilities, more things, more comfort, more security. But we know that that's not really true, right? I mean, in the famous words of Notorious B.I.G., R.I.P., it's like the more money we come across, the more problems we have. And money, honestly, is not the real problem. There's nothing wrong with money in itself, but the pursuit of money, the relentless pursuit of money that has the aim of creating for ourselves a life that removes God from the picture, that is dangerous. It becomes an idol that gives us a false sense of security and causes more and more worry. And as an Enneagram 6, I can think about money and, and I begin to think that, well, more money means less risk. And again, that statement is not entirely wrong, but there's a lie that follows close behind it. Because then I think, well, less risk means less reliance on God. More money means that I can rest, I can trust God less, right? Um, it means that I can begin to see money as even an insurance policy against God, right? That somehow if God fails, that money will cover the rest, right? That money will cover the difference. That my money will take care of me more than God will. And slowly we begin to rely on that more and more. And money begins to take the top spot in our lives and God become second. So today what we're going to do, our goal for today is to reorder our thinking. We're going to look at the parable of the rich fool and see that when we focus on our ability to provide for ourselves, it gives us a false sense of security and leads to unnecessary worry. So instead, we want to put our trust in God who will give us everything we need, everything we need, but in abundance also. When we reorder our thinking to put God on top, and when we trust God with our money, we can rest, we can receive, and share the gifts that he provides. The parable of the rich fool is found in Luke 12, and we're going to read the story, and we're going to read a few of the verses that follow so that we can get a full picture. So if you um, will turn with me or look at the screens, we're going to read Luke 12, and we're going to start in verse 13. So it says, someone in the crowd said to him, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. And Jesus replied, man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? Then he said to them, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. And he told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. 
I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones, and there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich toward God. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, or about your body, what you will wear, for life is more than food and the body more than clothes. Consider the ravens, they do not sow or reap, they have no storeroom or barn, yet God feeds them. And how much more valuable you are than birds. Who of you by worrying can add a single hour to your life? Since you cannot do this very little thing, why do you worry about the rest? So Jesus is addressing his disciples primarily with this parable, but we know from reading chapter 12 that there is a large crowd gathered. So there are other people there. And he's just finished giving the disciples a warning about, um, against hypocrisy, right? He's talked about the Pharisees. He's giving them this warning about watching out for hypocrisy and telling them not to be afraid of those who would seek to try to harm you. And then in this section, a person in the crowd kind of yells out to Jesus and he says, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. And I think Jesus responds kind of sharply to him. He says, man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? And then he says something even more interesting. He says, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed, watch out. See, this man sees Jesus as an authority, right? And he wants Jesus to use his authority to help him in a family matter. Jesus could have honestly just turned to this man's brother and said, hey, look, share with your brother and gone about his day. But Jesus doesn't. He refuses to decide the matter and instead issues a warning. Jesus is not here to decide and to determine what happens with our earthly possessions. He cares about more than that. He's here for more than that. And he's telling us that we have to be careful. We have to watch out because life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. It's not about what you have or what you can get. So then Jesus goes into the parable. He knows he's got to take this point and drive it home even further. And that's why he uses the parables, right? To really get at the root of what's going on. And so he wants to challenge their idea of inheritance and possessions and money and their sense that these things are going to give them a better and a safer life. So he tells the parable of the rich fool. He had an abundant harvest, more than he could imagine. Now he's faced with the task of trying to store it all. So he gets the idea, I'll just build bigger storage facilities and I'll store it. And once he's done, he kind of dusts his hands off. He admires the work that he's done and he kind of sits back and relaxes knowing that he has secured his future. And in this parable, God speaks, right? And so Jesus t tells um, this parable using the voice of God to give it even more gravity, right? And he says that God tells him, you fool, this very night, your life will be demanded from you. And who will get what you have prepared? You fool. 
According to the Expositor's Bible Commentary on Luke, the word fool in this passage is used in the sense that it rejects the knowledge and precepts of God as the giver of life. You fool. You think you know better than God that you can provide for yourself better than God can, that you can safeguard your life because of the amount of things that you have. And so after telling this parable, Jesus turns to his disciples and he offers them a little bit gentler um, charge. And he says, look, don't worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will wear about your body. God will provide what you need. He does it for the birds, Are you not more valuable to him than the birds? And besides, what will worry do for you anyway? It's not going to add a single hour to your life. You can't add a single hour to your life just by worrying. And I laughed a little bit at verse six because Jesus says, since you cannot do this little thing, and the little thing that he's referring to is adding an hour to your life which is crazy because, uh, you know, he's God. And so that is a little thing for him. And he's like, you can't do this. You can't do this little thing. So why are you going to worry? And at the heart of this passage, what Jesus is really telling the people, what he's telling us is that money and possessions cannot add any eternal value to our lives. They ultimately can't add anything of eternal value to our lives. All it really does is give us a false sense of security and a whole lot of worry. Money, we know, can be lost. We can work hard day after day. We can hustle and we can side hustle and we can still lose it all. How many of you guys got emails um, from small business retailers a few weeks ago? They're pleading with you for support because their bank, where all their money was, went under. And their money was gone, just like that lost. But God offers us a better way. We can think, we can, um, what we think money can provide, what we think money must provide, the security, the safety, the abundance, God will provide so much more. That's why we continue to read verses 22 through 26. The parable of the rich fool is a warning to us that trying to do it on our own is ultimately fruitless. Thinking that we are in control and that we can ensure our lives against God is foolish. God takes care of the birds and the wildflowers. He gives them everything that they need. He will give us what we need. How much more valuable are we to him? We are created in his image created to do his work in the world. He is going to give us what we need in order to do that. And so we just need to reorder our thinking, reorder our loves, as St. Augustine calls it. He says that our loves are out of order. We are shaped by what we love, and we often love less important things more, and more important things less. So our loves are out of order. And this is how it is with money. For some of us, our loves and our thinking is out of order. We love money, a less important thing, more than we love God, a more important thing. And when things are out of order, we experience discontentment and worry and anxiety. We experience the desire for more and more because it's ultimately left us unfulfilled, right? It can't fill us the way that God can. When the love of money is primary, we expect more from it than it can give us. 
It cannot make us whole and it cannot save us. The love of money can never satisfy us the way that the love of God can. So we've got to reorder things to put God back at the top. And putting God at the top isn't easy. I know it, I can say it and it sounds easy, but it's not easy because it requires trust. Not just a little trust, a tremendous amount of trust on our part. Trusting that God will provide for all of our needs. Trust that if we open our hands and we surrender our money and our possessions and our finances to him, that he will give us what we need. When we reorder our thinking and we put God at the top, we can rest, we can receive, and we can share the gifts that he provides. So first, we can rest. When money is at the top, we are constantly thinking about it. Maybe you're the kind of person that's hypervigilant about your money, right? You are um, watching every penny, checking how everything is spent. You are constantly checking your accounts multiple times a day, making sure everything is just right. Or maybe you're, you're not like that. Maybe you're the person that's just constantly chasing the next big thing, the next big paycheck, the next million dollar payout, um, working day and night to, to finally achieve some grand idea of wealth or success. When money is at the top, we care more about how it affects us than we do about God and his kingdom. Money at the top means that we don't really have time to trust God or to do the things that God would call us to do. We didn't have time to help the poor because that might mean that we have less and we can't have less because we need as much as we can get. And it, it gets obsessive, right? And it's exhausting, constantly chasing what money is promising that it will give us. But when we move God to the top, we can rest. We can open our hands and we can surrender our desire and our pursuit of money to him. Resting might even look like taking a Sabbath, choosing to stop working the 60, 80 hour weeks and just resting, resting in the fact that God will provide what you need. When uh, we focus on God and put him on top, we can receive, right? We can receive what he has for us. When money is on top, we can never get enough. We're always chasing more security, more comfort, more stuff. Our heads are down and we can't even see what God has for us, the good things that he wants for us, that he has something better in store. And again, money in itself is not bad. Don't hear me say that. But when it distracts us from God, when it tells us that we can't trust him, it becomes dangerous. But when things are reordered and God is on top, money loses its power over us. We can receive money and we can be thankful. We can thank God for what he has given us and we can learn how to be a good steward. We can learn how to manage it and we can learn how to share it with others. And this all leads us to the place where we can share the gifts that God has given us. We can take what we've been given and not be afraid to give it away, to bless someone, to help someone else meet their needs. We can remove that fear. Because many of us look at the world in front of us and it feels like a zero-sum game. And maybe it is in some cases, but when we have this attitude that there's just not enough to go around, when we think that um, we have to keep it all for ourselves, 
it might be an indicator of disordered thinking. When we think that there isn't enough to go around, so I can't give you what I have because I won't have any, that's an indicator that we have our loves out of order. But if we reorder our thinking and we put God back at the top, we recognize that God is a God of abundance. He gave us everything that we have, right? It doesn't run out. He cares for the birds. He cares for the wildflowers. How much more will he care for you? He will care for your needs and he will be generous with his care. And then you can be generous to those around you because you can trust God knowing that he will care for you. And then that way you can become a steward of what he's given to you. And so if myself as an Enneagram six, who's always evaluating the risk, if I can trust God with my finances and my future, I think that you can too. So what does that look like for you though? What does it look like for you to trust God with your money? How can you model trusting God financially in front of others? How can you model that for other people? Is it by showing them a better way to rest? Abandoning the rat race, not refusing to participate in it, resting? Is it by showing them how to receive with thankfulness and gratitude the gift that God has so graciously given to you? Or is it by modeling generosity, sharing what you have without fear of losing something? Jesus is calling each of us to put our trust in him, to reorder our thinking, and to trust that he will give us everything that we need. So my charge for you today is to put your trust in the one who will abundantly provide for you. Can I pray for y'all? Heavenly Father, I thank you for today. God, money feels like an untouchable subject sometimes. Um, it comes with a lot of fear and anxiety and worry. And God, your word tells us not to worry because God, you will provide. Help us to believe that that is true. Help us to trust you with our finances, to trust that you will provide um, that you will fill in the gaps. It's hard sometimes, Lord, when we struggle financially to believe that. But God, may we rest in the truth that you know what we need, that you see us, and that you will care for us. And God, may we also, those of us who have a little bit of extra, may we be generous with those around us. May we not view our money as something that we have got to store up and lock away for ourselves, but may we freely give it to those in need, knowing that you are a God of abundance and that you will provide for us. I thank you for this time. I thank you for these women who are here every week, deepening their faith, engaging in, in community around the table. God, may you continue to guide them in your truth and draw them to yourself. I pray this in your son's name. Amen. Okay. Well, I'll just go ahead and tell y'all, yes, Camille and I won the box packing contest. A few days after that, I also won another contest where I had to push a coworker in a chair around our office, all the way around the cubicles, and um, 
I I won and got another gift card and it was and I beat Chad. And um so it was it was men against women and the women won in a race. So we like to win around here. Um that was completely irrelevant to anything else I'm gonna tell y'all. I just wanted y'all to know that we won. Um Yep, yep. Okay, well, I can't believe how quickly this semester has gone. Am I right? Yes, I think it's because two reasons. Number one, we were having fun. Number two, we were sitting at the feet of Jesus, listening to his teaching. And I picture the people of New Testament times sitting at the feet of Jesus, and it makes sense to me why they would sit for hours. Because of the master storyteller, of the way that he loved uniquely, and the way that we get to experience Jesus. And so I hope that you are wrapping up this semester on the parables with a better understanding, not just of Jesus and his character, but of the kingdom of God. And what the kingdom of God really means, that Jesus used them to announce his mission that he was bringing the kingdom here on earth just as it was in heaven. And so now that we're at the end of the semester and we can look back at, you know, think through all the different parables we studied and um, all of those stories, I want to take a moment and just remember what we talked about the first day. And that was the state that we find Israel in. The Israelites, um, remember, they were under Roman control, right? And their scriptures told them that a king was coming, And so they wanted to rebel against the Romans because they knew their king was coming and they were ready for freedom. And so they wanted to rebel. They wanted to to go against the Romans. They wanted their freedom because they knew that it said that one day God would come and rule his people. And so this is what they thought the kingdom of God would look like. That the kingdom of God would look like them taking things into their own hands and overthrowing the government. But then Jesus shows up. And Jesus is poor, he's homeless, he travels a lot, he doesn't stay in one place, he sought out the sick, he sought out the neglected, he ate with sinners, and they're like, what? This is our king? (laughs) Surely not. Because Jesus was a surprise to them. The kingdom of God was a surprise to them. Remember, this was an upside-down world compared to what they expected that Jesus would look like, what they expected the kingdom of God would look like, that, that they no longer were just God's chosen people. They had to love their enemies, that those who had captured them and hurt them, they had to love them. And they're going, this is the kingdom? And here's the thing, when Jesus told these parables, it required them to make a decision. It required them to ask that question of who do we believe Jesus is? It required them to ask, is this the kingdom of God that we want? Or do we prefer it in our own way? Is this the leader we want on the throne Or am I more comfortable being on my own throne? And that's where we find ourselves today. And we are invited to ask that question. Who do you believe God is? What do you believe about God? Like Camille talked about, what we believe about God is that 
everything belongs to him. And what we do is we aren't quite sure that his plan for us will be best. And so we, we store up treasures here on earth just in case his plan is not what we wanted. We put ourselves back on the throne and we say, well, just in case God doesn't do it the way I think he should do it, I've got this backup plan and I can still be in control. I'm really comfortable in this position, and so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to sit right here on my throne because I feel safe because I can trust myself and I can't trust God. And yet we come in this room and we talk about who God is, that he is the one who loves us, who chooses us, who comes after us, who loves the most unlovely and goes first in the greatest sacrifice of love. He is the only one to be trusted. And so who do you believe God is? Is he worthy of you getting off your throne? Is he worthy of us surrendering these kingdoms that we have built? Because at the end of the day, friends, I will promise you, your kingdom will collapse. Mine has collapsed many times. Every time I try to build myself up a kingdom, God makes sure... (laughs) that it's not like his. It is not fortified and it will crush and it will collapse. And you know who's still standing. And so what we have learned and every time you read a parable going forward, I want you to stop and read this parable in a new way, not asking, what does this mean of how I should behave in life? What does this mean about loving my enemy or taking care or loving it? That's, those are the questions we ask along the way, every time you read a parable, I want you to stop and go, do I believe that God is who he is? And then does my life reflect that belief? And if they don't align, then we need to take a step back. Because friends, he is the only one worthy of our trust. He is the only one worthy of us getting down off our throne. And he is the only ruler and the only kingdom that will bring life and goodness. So I want y'all to know, (laughs) it has been an amazing semester being with y'all, seeing your faces, watching you discover these truths. And you keep coming back, even though we face all kinds of conviction every week. So way to go. But this Bible study would not happen without a lot of people who made it happen. The first I want to thank is our PM coordinator, Kelly Snap, back here. She's amazing. Second, thank your leaders for showing up and loving on you. Um, special thanks to Alice, who's not here, but who led the writing process. And I would like y'all to know that a team writes this Bible study. So if you helped in any way, if you were a reader, if you were an editor, if you were a teacher, if you were on the women's team, um, if you served in any capacity to help this Bible study come to fruition, would you please stand? There's a lot of you. Yes. I want y'all to know this ministry is not just, this isn't for IBC. We don't do this just for IBC. We do this for you. This is for you. And so tomorrow when we send out a survey, 
we want to hear from you. We're only as good as the feedback we receive. And we want to keep hearing, is this, is this working for you? <laughs> do you want to keep coming back? Are these the things we want to continue? What do you love? What do you have concerns about? Every question is on there. There's plenty room for all your feels. And like Kathy said, we read every single one of them. And that is not a, a exaggeration. So please fill that out. The link to Purpose um, will be on that if you want to register for Purpose. Um, it's good to be together, and I can't wait to be together again. So y'all don't forget about Easter Fest, Easter Sunday, and all the Easter things. Camille will be teaching it Monday, Thursday, so be sure and be at Monday, Thursday. Um, come to 1, April 28th and 29th. People are already signing up, so you don't want to lose your spot. Sign up. Um, that's April 28th and 29th. Sign up for, oh, um, summer Bible study. I think Kathy said this. The first five weeks are just a normal Bible study. The second five weeks are optional. You're going to have both books to start out the summer, but the second five weeks where you do it on your own, that's optional for you. It's highly, highly encouraged, but it will be optional. So we will see y'all soon. <laughs> have a great week. Bye.